I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we are going to take a break this morning from our series in the book of Genesis. You may not realize this, but we have been in the book of Genesis now for a year and three months, a year and three months, and we are preparing now to embark on the life of Abraham and his example of faith. But before we consider the the faith of Abraham, I was impressed in my time of study to consider with you Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. So you might want to turn there now. You may be asking, why study this and why study this now? Great question. Why study this? Because it's God's word. And all scripture is profitable. But... This passage, I think, is helpful because of the current climate in our church. I believe there is a need for a clearer understanding from Scripture on what the role of pastors is to be in the local church. And likewise, what the role of members is to be, once again, according to the Scriptures. So I thought it would be helpful for us to allow the Scriptures, or God himself, to speak to his church about what he is calling his church to be, who he is calling his church to be. And I do pray that over these next few weeks, we will be here, I think for two or three weeks, maybe. I pray that the Lord give you ears and and minds and hearts to receive what the spirit of God says to the church. And with that said, let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter four. And I, I hope you don't mind, but if you can, if you're able to once more stand for the reading of God's word, then that would be wonderful. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. I am reading from the New American Standard Version, so it may look a little different than what you have. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience showing forbearance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended in himself, in himself, is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that when he, so that he might fulfill all things. Verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature with which which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be tossed children tossed here and there by waves of Waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by the by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, 
from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper workings of each working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. And with this chapter, the fourth chapter, the second part of his letter begins. Paul has dealt with the great and eternal truths of the Christian faith and with the function of the church in the plan of God. Now he begins to sketch what each member of the church must be if the church is to carry out her part in the great plan of God. Verse 1, I... Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing fair, showing tolerance or forbearance with one another in love. The believers were called with a holy calling. And now Paul, the prisoner of Christ, inspired by God's Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit of God, calls the church to walk in a manner. Listen to this. Worthy of this calling, worthy of that calling, the apostle gives the the direction or the path which believers must tread if they are to to live or walk worthy of the calling. So then, Paul, what is the road of faith? What is the road that I must take in order to to live in a manner worthy of the calling with which I've been called? What is that pathway that gives evidence to the high calling of Christ in my life. The road, brothers and sisters, is a road of humility. It's a road of gentleness. It's a road of patience. It is a road of tolerance, for this is the expression of love for the saints. Amen. This is the pathway of living out faith, where? In the local church. And what is the ultimate goal of this pathway? What is the 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 end location? Verse three, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's our goal. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been called to a diligent, to be diligent, to work and to constantly work for what? At the preservation of the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. That is our function here. One of our functions in the local church It is a spiritual union. There is a union between God and his people, between Christ and his church, between saints and saints. And the bond of each of these is a union of love. Christ is the one who has united us to him. Right. Christ is the one who has united us in him. We who have placed our faith in Christ alone for our salvation have been united to him. And by our union with him, listen to this. We also have been united to one another in Christ. A byproduct of union with Christ is union with each other. One another. We are united under one head, Christ. We are members of the same body. We are not disjointed members. We are not disjointed, disconnected toes and foots and fingers and eyes And ears that stay home from the gathering of the saints. When the body gathers, we display that we are one of the body by what? By joining with the body. 
We are of one mind, one aim, one goal to glorify Christ in the world and in the local church. This union already exists. We don't have to create it. It has been created by Christ. Did you get that? This union has been created by Christ, established by Christ. This is not a call for us to do something that has not already been established. It's not a call for us to create something that has not already been created, but rather it is a call to do this, to maintain that which has been established by Christ, to maintain, to work hard at, to make effort towards. Christ has established it. Christ will maintain it. And Christ will bring it to perfection. But we must live, function, and walk in such a way that shows that we will not attempt to fracture or disjoint that which Christ has established. Amen. We walk in ways to show we are keeping, maintaining by our actions, by our humility, by our tolerance. We are maintaining that which Christ has established. We must not walk in such a way as it says, I am fracturing. I am disjointing that which Christ has established. Not if you are the church. We must seek to preserve this unity. It is a delight. It is a comfort for the saints and it brings much glory to God. Therefore, the pains, the efforts, the disappointments... And difficulties, listen to this, that come with maintaining this unity are worth, worth the effort. If this brings glory to God, the pain, the difficulty, the disappointments, the, the, the struggles that it takes to maintain unity are worth the effort because it brings glory to God and God has commanded this. Amen. There is a bond or a knitting together. That seeks, regardless of the difficulty, to maintain the peace between the body parts. How is that unity and that bond of peace accomplished? We know that it's easier said than done, right? We know that it is easier said than done. But the Apostle Paul tells us how. Verse 11. And he gave some as apostles. And some as prophets. And some as evangelists. And some as pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, how is the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace preserved? How is the unity of the spirit, this knitting together, how does it endure? How is it maintained? These questions lead us to our points of consideration this morning and our, our and consideration and for our contemplation, for us to think about these things. I have seven points for you this morning. Hold on tight. Number one, Christ, the enthroned Savior King of the church has given pastor elders to his church as gifts. I'll read that again. Christ, the enthroned Savior King of the church, he's the King of the church, has given pastor elders to his church as gifts. You can shorten that by saying Christ has given 
gifts to his church. They are pastors. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as the enthroned Savior King of the church, has gifted his body with elders. Christ, the great shepherd, has gifted his bride with under-shepherds. Why? Why? Christ has gifted his church with pastor elders for the purpose of their doctrinal and spiritual unity unto perfection or maturity. Why has Christ given pastors to your church for their, your, our spiritual unity, perfection and maturity? The apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit has commanded the church to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. What does that look like? Again, it is humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, as we diligently seek to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. How is this accomplished on our own? Is it maintained by us setting aside right doctrine and orthodox truth and just saying, well, what do we have in common? That's my favorite color, too. Let's be best friends. Is that how unity is maintained and preserved in the body of Christ? No. Unity, or or let's say it this way, is unity maintained, is peace maintained as people set aside truth, believing that truth does not matter. So that we could say what really matters is my personal friendship with you. Oh, forget all of the biblical doctrine. Let's just be buddies. Is that how, is that even what Paul is speaking about when he says the spirit of unity in the bond of peace? Not at all. The, the, the answer to that question is no. How do we know? Because the apostle goes from telling us or calling us to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace to describing what unites us. It is a command. It is the command and the reason for the command. Verse four, there is one body. He says, maintain peace. Spirit of unity, there is one body. Or maintain unity, maintain peace. Here's what unites you. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just also as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, he says. One faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who was over all and through all and in all. Do you hear that? So we are united by certain truth claims. We we are given grace by the Spirit of God who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are united on that. We have been called to place our faith in the one who, the only one who could rescue us from the dominion of darkness, namely Christ, and place our faith in Him alone. And by that faith in Christ, we are saved. We are united on that. The Father and, and, and the Spirit and the, and the Son, we are baptized into that name. You're united on that. We, we are united in that for the glory of God who is over all and in all and through. We are united on these truth claims. Paul says, be united. Here's what unites you. Be united. This is what unites us. This is what first and foremost unites us. Then we come through verses 7 and, and 10. One theologian comments here in verse 7, the gifts of the ascended Christ are given to individual Christians. But then in verse 11, the gifts of the ascended Christ are individual Christians. Let me read that to you again. 
Here in verse 7, the gifts of the ascended Christ are given to individual Christians. But then in verse 11, the gifts of the ascended Christ are the individual Christians that have been endowed with gifts as a gift for the local church. Speaking of what? Speaking of pastor. Speaking of elders. The apostle goes from these gifts that have been given to all of the church so that we might function as believers in the local church to particular persons who fulfill particular offices, namely pastor, elder, in the local church. Notice, notice verse number 11. He gave some to be apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. In verses 4 and 7, the apostle describes the gift that all of the body of Christ received to gifted persons that Christ has given for the benefit of the local church, his body. See verse 11? He gave. Christ gave to the church pastor elders, pastor teachers. We do not believe that the office of apostle and, and prophet is for today. That's another sermon for another time. But we do believe and we will concentrate on the gift of pastor elder in this local church. So today we are talking about the role of pastors in this church. Your pastor or pastors are gifts from Christ. And let the church say, yes, your pastor elders are gifts to the local church. Listen to this. They are not your burden. They are not your thorn in the side. They are gifts from Christ. They are not your enemy. Since then, elder pastors have been gifted to the church by Christ. What is the purpose of their gift? What is the reason that Christ has given particular pastors to particular churches? Point number two. Pastors are gifted for. See that in verse 12? For equipping the saints. Pastors are a gift to the church. Pastors are gifted to the church for, number one, for the equipping of the saints. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Christ has given particular pastors to particular churches for the purpose of equipping the saints of those local churches. Uh, equipping the saints with and for what? We shall discuss the equipped uh, with what and for what questions in a moment, but consider that pastors are to equip saints. What, when you think of being equipped, think of this, being prepared. Equippedness is preparedness. Think of being able. Think of being fit to perform. Pastors are given to local churches. Uh, let me just say to the little ones here, little ones. Pastors are not just given to mommies and daddies. Pastors are also given to you. So that when we speak as we are speaking today, we are not speaking not to you, only to mommy and daddy. We're speaking to you little ones today, to you middle-aged ones, and to you older ones. Pastors are given to the entire body, not just to the older ones, to the adults. Y'all get that? So when you see your pastor's elders, they are also your pastor elder in this church. For the equipping of the saints. To be prepared. Pastors are given to local churches in order that they might bring the saints, listen, under their care and shepherd them unto 
a strong, spiritually strong or fit or orderly point. Pastors are to bring, bring sheep under their care and shepherd them unto a spiritually strong, fit or orderly point. Pastors are not given, listen closely, pastors are not given to local churches for your personal enjoyment. Pastors are not given to local churches so that they might be your compadre. So that they might like all your likes and adopt all of your extracurricular activities. That is not why pastors have been gifted to the local church. And there is a very 20th, 21st century idea that that pastors are to be my homies. They're to be my best friends. They don't even call pastors pastors anymore. They call them Nate. They call them Ben. They call them Antonio. The generation I grew up in, you respected that office. You called your pastor, pastor. Because you respected the gift that was given to them in the role of the local church. It's a trendy thing. Oh, I just call him Jim. It's pastor stuff. It's, it's slightly disrespectful. Truth be told, it is slightly disrespectful. And I say that slightly because there's a generation today that would say, that's so legalistic. It, it is what it is. You call a doctor at the doctor's office, doctor, don't you? You respect that office. Why has Christ gifted his body with pastors? Pastors are given to local churches for the purpose of bringing the saints under their care as they are gifted by Christ to bring the saints unto a fit and orderly point. Pastors are to create then a climate in the local church where Christians can grow both personally and corporately. You grow not only, not, not only in a personal way, and that is often the approach that we take I have a personal relationship with Christ. I come to church for myself. I hear the word and then I go and I don't interact with anyone. That's an autonomous way to live as a believer. And not a way that God has called you in Christ to live. It's individualistic. Again, it's 20th and 21st century approach to church. We shall discuss this more next week. But there is a metaphor of the body that's taking place here in Ephesians. We are called to function together. We grow together. We also shrink together. We grow together. Amen. This is the work of the pastor to equip the saints or to help them become fit. Equip the saints with what? Equip the saints with, as we will see in verse 15, truth. The pastor's job is to equip, to be equipped with the truth so that he might equip the saints with that same truth. We are commanded to speak the truth in what? In love. But you can't speak the truth if you don't know the truth. What are we united on? On, on what basis? The basis of truth in Christ. We are not uh, united because we actually get along with each other. It takes work for us to get along with each other, right? It's easier to say, I like that person. I'll spend more time with them. They'll now be a part of my new clique because we get along. And never talk about anything theological. Never talk about anything truth-related. Just personal-related. We'll get to that in a moment. Speak the truth in love. What is truth? God's word. The pastor to deliver to the people 
of God, the truth of God from God's word. The pastor is to each Lord's day. Listen to this as the primary means of delivering truth, deliver truth from God's word to your ears, your minds and pray that your hearts are changed by God to believe, to understand the pastor is to equip the people of God with right doctrine, right truth. We are to we are not just bringing you God's word and our twisted spin on what we think it means to me. We're not reading random verses of God's word and saying, uh, so this is what it means to me. Run from places like that. Run from places that read God's word. And, and, and that is some so-called Christians want that kind of approach in churches. Very nonchalant, very informal. To hear so-called preachers speak in such a way. Except they say, the Spirit of God is telling me right now. And what does God say? What did he say to Jeremiah? I never said that. They ran, but I never sent them. They spoke, but I never spoke to them. It is the, the, it is the pastor's calling from Christ to equip the people of God with right truth. With right doctrine. Don't you want to know truth rightly? The elder is a gift from Christ who is called to equip the saints with the truth. And it is the job of the saints to be present to receive that truth. If it is our job to deliver truth, it's someone else's job to receive truth. Amen. If it is our job to preach each Lord's Day, it's someone else's job to be present to receive each Lord's Day. Why? What is the purpose of being equipped? Verse or number three. Pastors are equipped for, another four, are gifted. Pastors are gifted for equipping the saints for the work of service. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Your Bible may say for the work of the ministry. Listen to this. And because of that, some pastors have taken, taken this to mean that it is their job to make every one of you a pastor. Every one of you a preacher. That's not what Paul's saying. Others in the body of Christ has taken this to mean if I'm to be equipped for the if I'm to be equipped for the for the work of the ministry, then I should be a minister. And if the pastor is not making me a minister, then I need to go start my own ministry so that I can be the minister of another church. But there's a domino effect that happens. Because when you teach that way, you build up other people who believe that, and then now everybody thinks that they need to be a pastor. That's why we have so many churches. Because everybody thinks they need to be a pastor. Everybody thinks they need to be the shepherd. And that's not what Paul is calling us to do. This is also a development that's only happened in the past 120 years. Why do we have so many churches? Because there's diversity in belief. It's because of our sinfulness. And because everybody believes that we should be a pastor. They should be a pastor. Women too. Another view, and probably one that is more prominent and trendy today, is this. That pastors are given to churches to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That means this. You are the ministers. I would be the facilitator. I'm the one who says, yeah, go do that. Yeah, go do that. Good job here. Good job there. I'm the coach who's sending everybody to where they need to go. But you're the ones who are doing the work. We don't deny that we should strive to be active as members of the body of Christ. But the idea that you are being equipped to be a minister in the same sense that I am called to be a minister is not the view that Paul is preaching and teaching here. The work of the ministry, listen to this, is the ministry work of the pastor. It is the service 
his service to the church. And it is only used one other time in 2 Timothy 4, 5. Paul calls Timothy to do what? Fulfill his ministry. It was Timothy's ministry of the word of God. Christ has gifted the church with elders. They have been given a task to fulfill in the local church. They are to equip the saints to make saints fit for what? Fit to serve in accomplishing the task given to the pastor in the local church. By Christ, the head of the church, the task of the elder is to administer or apply God's holy word to those who are under their care. The pastor is not to administer everything that we believe about life. Nazareth, stop it. About life, about philosophy, about politics, about sports. That's not my job. It is my job, not my job, to tell you what team to root for. Not my job to tell you what your favorite music should be or who you should vote for. It's the pastor's job, not the pastor's job, to to legislate, but to administer. Big difference. Meaning, it's not my job to, to create my own ideas and then impose them upon you. I don't preach myself. We don't preach ourselves. We don't preach our own ideas. We administer. We give Christ in him crucified. We preach the whole counsel of God. The, 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 the pastor elder gives something that has already been given. He brings the people to Christ. To what Christ has already provided for the church. His word. For what? Your good and your growth. God's word. What is this service of the church? We'll tease this out more next week. But it does involve your activity. It involves you actively serving Christ, obeying the word of Christ as you maintain the bond of peace in the local church. Number four, pastors are gifted to the local church for the building up of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, uh, That to the building up of the body of Christ could also be translated for the building. So we have four, four, and four. For the building up of Christ. That is to make the body strong. That is to build strength in members in the local church through God's word. This is accomplished as servants of Christ take the word of Christ and bring it to the people of Christ. And as they are implored to obey the word of Christ. When this happens, the body is strengthened. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that when you obey Christ, we are a strong church? (laughs) When we disobey Christ, we weaken the body. How simple is that? When we obey Christ, we strengthen this church, his local church. When we disobey Christ... When we are not humble, when we are not tolerant, when we are not so on and so forth, following that path that, that, that Paul has set for us to attain the unity, there is no unity. There's disunity. There is fractures in the church when we don't obey the word of Christ. Listen, people don't, they either don't realize or they don't care how much they hinder the body of Christ when they fail to walk in obedience. They, they either don't understand or they don't care 
when they fail to walk in humility, when they fail to be gentle, when they fail to be uh, tolerant, when they fail to reject the command to maintain the unity of the body bond of peace, they fracture, they hurt the body. Will you be the one to hinder the body? It does take effort. But the work is is worth the result. Number five, just in case you thought we would be here all day. Christ gives pastors to his churches for a specific duration and for a specific purpose. Just put duration and purpose if you're taking notes. Duration and purpose. What is the duration and what is the purpose? Verse 13. Until, see the duration, there is a time limit. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a, here's the uh, uh, purpose, to a mature man. Until, duration, mature man, specific goal. We are given to, pastors are given to the church until and so that. Pastors function in order that the church is brought along in, listen, doctrinal maturity. Until we are mature. Unity in Christ to a true knowledge of the Son of God. Pastor, Christology is hard. It's all about Christ. And we have been given this command to know about Christ. Pastor, the book of Genesis is hard and it's long. A year and three months and we're not done. We're only chapter 12. It's all about Christ. It's what we've been called to to know and to understand. Pastor Peter is difficult. It's difficult, yes, but it's been what we have been commanded to know and to understand. It's the pastor's job to prepare and equip your minds with right doctrine and right knowledge. Christ has a specific goal in view for his church and for pastors of his church. Until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith as God's word is brought near or brought to bear upon your hearts and minds, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, it is supposed to have a unifying effect on the sheep. I'll say it again, on the sheep. It is a unity that is produced by orthodox doctrine and, and the sheep receive it. There are certain truth claims from God's word that are brought to bear upon your hearts and minds and they are intended to draw you both closer to God and to each other. As you hold fast together these truths, you are brought together by truth. You are not brought together by countless hours of chatting until midnight about nothing. You don't need a church for that. You don't need a church for that. That's that's what some uh, so-called sheep want. I just want friends. They don't care where they find them. They don't want God's word. They want friends. Uh, Doctrine and the gospel divides, but a rack of ribs and Coca-Cola brings the nations together pagan this is not the unity of the faith it's the unity of goats not sheep nothing wrong with ribs and coca-cola but they're not the primary means of your unity they are not what brings you together as the body of christ it is god's word it is right doctrine and this will bring us to maturity and completeness you don't need the church for those other things And what we do is we put those other things before the church. 
We put those other things as priority over right doctrine, right theology. And we fracture the church when we do those things. There's a specific duration that Christ intends for his church and purpose. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the what? Knowledge. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Pastors function so that the church is brought along to spiritual maturity to a perfect man. How are they brought along? Through right knowledge. Through right knowing. A right understanding. Amen. And what is the purpose? To a perfect man. A figure of speech. The church is called a man. It's a singular entity. It's a body. Distinct parts. That all function together. That all function together. We'll talk about this next week. We don't realize how important this is. Until it's gone. I have a broken one on this side. It's it's been repaired. But eh, it's okay. I used to be able to only do this. Didn't realize how much this was important until I couldn't use it. Until it was no longer there. But it functions to keep the rest of the body How about your little pinky toe? If you lost your little pinky toe, do you know how much balance you would have? You know how much better you could run? Not much better. We need each other. And we need each other to function properly. And in order for us to be functioning properly, we need to be fed the right things. Or else we will be disabled. Pastoral ministry is aimed to produce spiritual maturity and it is for the entire church. Listen, not just some of the church. When we preach, we're not just preaching to the, to the Mexicans in this church, to the Filipinos in this church, to the African Americans in this church. We are preaching to the body of Christ. This is for all of the body. We're not preaching to those who have, who have earned a college degree and those who don't have a high school diploma. We're preaching to all of the church. This is aimed toward you all. It is for the body to help you grow so that before you leave this earth, you might function as a part of this body as a perfect and the perfect man is the goal. Pastors function so that the church might be brought along in Christ likeness. And this is produced by Christ through the preaching of the word of Christ for the glory of Christ. This is pastoral ministry. This is the goal to see Christ like this in the people of Christ. Six. Christ gives pastors to the church to produce distinct effects upon the church. To produce distinct effects upon the church. Let's read verses 14 and 16. 14 through 16. As a result, we are no longer, see that? We are no longer, here's the effect, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. There's the effect. By the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth of love. There's the the negative effect, right? And here's the positive effect. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who was the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes, here's the goal, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Verse 14 through 16, as a result of the pastoral ministry, we are no longer to be children. Children, this is not a slight on you. Enjoy your childhood. But we are no longer to be children. What? Tossed by every wind of doctrine. Instead of that, 
speak the truth in love. My son is young enough that he he can still be manipulated. He's five. He can be told certain things that are false. And because of his immaturity and lack of understanding, he might believe certain claims that are false, certain false claims. But there are certain things that right now he cannot be swayed on because he has been rightly taught. He can't be swayed into believing that Jesus is not God because he believes that now. He can't be swayed into believing that you can save yourself from your sins because he believes that it is only by faith that you are saved. He can't be swayed into believing that Jesus did not live, die, and rise for our salvation because he has been rightly taught. He knows that salvation is by repentance and faith in Christ. How? Because he has been equipped. He has been rightly taught right doctrine. He's still learning. But the purpose is to bring him first to the knowledge of the Son of God and then secondly to protect him from heresy that he will no doubt encounter in this life. The pastor, therefore, or, or similarly, the pastor is to protect the church from immaturity and doctrinal heresy. It is one of the responsibilities of the elders to help you mature in Christ by the administration of the word of God that is brought to bear upon your hearts and minds each Lord's Day Sabbath. Brothers and sisters, this is the primary means of discipleship. Are you being discipled presently? Right now you are being discipled. This is the primary means of your discipleship. Your elders, each Lord's Day, are bringing God's word before you, and they are discipling you at that moment. I wish someone would come along me and come alongside of me and just disciple me. I'll see you Lord's Day. I'll see you on the Lord's Day. I'll see you on the Lord. I'll be here. Just a side note. How often do I miss church? Do I want to be here every time? Don't ask me that right now. I'm here, though. For the purpose of discipling. Are you? It is my job to help you, or the elder's job to help you grow in Christ. I'm here. We're here. Will you be? I would really love to grow in Christ. I'll see you on the Lord's Day. And there are other things throughout the week that have been provided for you as well. We'll talk about that more in a moment. It is the primary means of discipleship. This is our responsibility. Listen, when we bring God's word, we are not imposing on your life. Right? We're not mingling in the affairs of your lives that have nothing to do with us. Rather, we are exactly where God has called us to be. With that administration comes all of the benefits of God's word. If you will receive it, second uh, Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work as God's word comes from this pulpit. Insofar as the minister is faithful to God's word. And listen, we are not infallible men. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to say things that I shouldn't have said that. But you don't take that one thing that I shouldn't have said that and discount the entire sermon. That's immaturity. That's people acting like goats rather than sheep. Insofar as the minister is faithful to God's word, he speaks on behalf of Christ insofar as he is faithful to God's word. To help the people mature in Christ. As God's word goes forth, you are being taught truth. 
Lord willing, you have a better grasp on Genesis, Christology, uh, impassibility, uh, immutability, as we've been talking about in our confession. Peter, so on and so forth. You are being taught God's word, and as it goes forth, it's rebuking you. So you are being taught, number one, you are learning understanding, and you're also being rebuked. What does 2 Timothy say? Profitable for teaching, for reproof. What is reproof? Rebuke. It's discipline. You are being discipled. Disciple meaning disciplined. You are being corrected both formatively and correctively as truth goes forth. God's word corrects you, me. Who do you think is first corrected when these sermons are prepared? Me. Am I outside of what's being taught? It's being filtered first through me and then to you. And then I got to say it in a nicer way. So that none of you say, I don't like me. He's talking about me. I'm talking about all of you and me first. It's all of us. We're all in this together. As God's word goes forth, it corrects wrong assumptions. It corrects wrong thinking, wrong doctrine, wrong living. And when those corrections come, the sheep don't run off to another church and say, I don't like that. They praise God for correction. It's a lamp to their feet, a light for their path. The goats run away. The sheep are thankful. Thankful that God has brought not the opinions of a man. But the word of God to bear upon the lives of his people so that we might attain that perfect man that Paul is speaking of. Don't you want to be better? It's not going to come by people patting you on the back and saying, poor boy, sheep. It's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's not your fault. Should we sit here and never be confronted by God's word? If so, are we teaching God's word? Because it's confrontational at the core. The gospel is confrontational at the core. You can't save yourself. Automatic confrontation. Have we reached the level of perfection that Paul is speaking of? No. Our offenses, when we are offended by God's word, show that we have so much more to learn. We should love, and I know it's hard to say this, we should love to be corrected. We don't, ex- we don't love it at first, but ultimately it's good for us, right? Don't say I hate to be corrected. That is pure pride. Pure pride. Embrace correction. Embrace the rebuke. You're being treated as children of God. What father does not discipline his child? If he does not discipline his child, that is not his child. Right? Don't spank my kid. I'll take care of that myself. What, what, what child does not love and, and ultimately is thankful for discipline? It is our responsibility, the responsibility of the pastor to preach God's word. And it will have a corrective effect on the people of God. This is the pastor's job. He's been gifted to the church for that reason. And if it makes you uncomfortable, this is not the preacher judging you. This is God's word judging you. Uh, Pastor Zay said in our prayer time, let us not sit as lawyers over God's word, but as sons and daughters. That is so good. Now, when you say, uh, 
Are you technically meaning? Just embrace it. Just take it. One preacher said to me, when we judge God's word, it's because God's word is judging us. And we often point our finger at the preacher and say, it's the preacher's fault. No, don't do that. Especially here. If you grew up in the church that I grew up in, then you could say that. This is not that place. Your pastor has been called to shepherd you and to protect you and to help you grow and mature. But I don't like the way he does it. I'll go to another church. I'll go to, I'll find another reformed church. It don't get no easier. Maybe for a moment, because it's different people, different preacher, the word is the same. And you will soon learn what I have learned in my 38 years of living, that people are sinners no matter where you go. Some people are, are honeymoon Christians. You know what a honeymoon Christian is? If they could be called Christian at all. They love it at first. But then when it's time to wrestle through an argument, to wrestle through difficulties, to wrestle through struggles, they get a divorce and go find another wife. Enjoy the honeymoon. And then it'll happen all over again. Will you allow the pastor to do his job or will you be offended? Will you see him as Christ's gift to you? Or will you disconnect from the body? Showing that you are not a part of the body. If you know people who have been to six different churches, seven different churches, there's something wrong with that individual. They don't stay planted for more than two, three years. Then they're on to the next one. That's a honeymoon. That's a honeymoon, Christian. I just made up that term, too. It is also the work of the pastor to protect you from doctrinal heresy. If you have a wrong belief, a wrong understanding, what should the pastor do? Should he be silent and allow you to continue in your wrong belief? Is that a faithful shepherd? No. The pastor is to protect the sheep from heresy. It is our job to tell you that certain preachers are not good for your soul. That they will bring confusion. That they will dismember you from the body. And if you don't like that, then you don't want a pastor. You don't want a shepherd. Brothers and sisters, we are easily swayed, are we not? We are easily swayed and all of this easily being swayed without the help of TBN of the devil. Circumstances come up in our lives and we are totally ready to abandon the truths of God's word. And some of us on a weekly basis, some of us come into this place ready to give up. And we need elders to protect us from immaturity and heresy. Paul tells Titus in the first chapter to hold fast God's word and also that false teachers must be silenced. I don't like when he talks about Joel Osteen. Well, deal with it. He's a false teacher. I don't like when he mentions names like Creflo Dollar. Paul did. He's a heretic. Not Paul. Creflo. You should thank God that you're being warned by your pastors. He can't tell me that. Why not? I can listen to whoever I want to. Do that then. See how healthy you are. See see what kind of growth you have. See, see if you do become that mature man that Paul is speaking of. We're trying to help you, not hurt you. And you only will see that if you see your pastor as your gift and not your curse. Amen. False teachers must be silenced. Why? Because they're separating, disturbing, the Bible says, whole families. And listen, 
a false teacher doesn't necessarily have to be behind a pulpit. They could just be people that you've met in the church. And for whatever reason, you guys have good friendship, good bonds, and you listen to them more than you will even come to your shepherds and say, what do you think? There are some who have come to this place with ulterior motives. Because we have gone through, finally, our last transition. And they've come in here with intentions to gain influence. For the purpose of gaining a following so that they may undercut the teachings of the elders. I can remember one man who used to say to others, never to me, used to say to others in the congregation, he shouldn't even be a pastor, speaking of me. And then after I would preach a sermon, he would bring people aside and I would see him in the corner talking to people with his Bible open. And what was he doing? He was contradicting everything that was being spoken from this pulpit. Never said one word to me, but secretly and privately spreading poison among the sheep. But then when I would see him, hey, how you doing? How you doing? And I get all this information afterwards. There are others who have done so also, not blatantly, kind of nonchalantly. Those false teachers and those disturbers of the peace must be silenced. Why? Because they are disturbing the peace. They are disrupting peace. They are attempting to fracture the body of Christ. They're not helping to bring unity to the body of Christ. They're not helping to to maintain the bond of peace. They're destroying peace. They care not for the body. They care for themselves and for their own agendas. And listen, there are some who will leave and say, oh, that's good that you're still there. But in the back of their minds, they are, are, are trying to influence you. They'll give you a call. Hey, let's have dinner. Oh, all of a sudden you want to have dinner. I ain't had dinner with you in a year. Now, now all of a sudden you want to have dinner? How convenient. For the purpose of not necessarily telling them you should leave, but for the purpose of saying, oh, really? Hmm. And then little innuendos of, of what they don't like to get you, to get some information from you. How are you feeling? Oh, you too. And then they'll go for it. Like a wolf on a lamb. I'm, I'm, I've been in church for 38 years. I haven't been a sometime Christian for 20 years. I've been an, a consistent Christian for 20 years. I'm not, I'm not, this is to the glory of God. I've seen this over and over again. For younger Christians who, are, who when I give them advice, it's not coming from someone who just did this yesterday. My dad was a pastor. My mom has been in the ministry for all of these years. I'm no rookie. I'm trying to, we are trying to help you. Because I've seen it all. Trust me when I say I've seen it all. So when we warn you, it's not from someone who has an ulterior motive. It's from someone who's trying to protect you. It's the pastor's job to protect the sheep from disturbers of the peace. And that job, I can tell you, for a shepherd, as being a shepherd for now of this church for 10 years almost... Gosh, it is a burden at times. It is difficult at times. You have no idea. You have no idea the nights that you are sleeping fine and I am being awoken at 4 o'clock in the morning with different people on my mind. Got to play a video game just to get my head off of it. Listen to a different sermon just to get my head off of it. Thinking about some of you. It's the pastor's job to confront and silence those disturbers of the peace from harming the sheep. Speak the truth in love. We are to speak the truth. 
speak the truth of the one God who eternally existed in three persons, of the, the one God who sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live, die, and rise for our justification. The gospel on and on and on. These are truths that are nourishing for our souls. This is why we preach what we preach and sing what we sing. It's for the equipping of the saints. It's for the saints. It's not directed to unbelievers. That's why when we come here, you hear what you hear. We preach what we preach. Go to the mission on Wednesday. It's a totally, uh, Dominga, right, Dominga? Right, Betty? Completely different. Completely different. Right, Brother Ralph? It's, who is, who, who is this preacher? It's a different crowd. What we preach to you is for you as believers. It's for your building up. For the building up of the body. We speak the truth in love. We don't speak the truth in order to gain an upper hand. Not to show that I know. I, I know more than you. I read this book and that book. I, I know more than you. That's not why we speak the truth in love. There are others who know things more than others. But it should be for the betterment of, of building up the believer. Not tearing down the believer. And there are times when truth will appear to be harsh. But why do we receive truth as being harsh? Because we're prideful. And we hate to be corrected. Who loves to be corrected? Anybody? Who loves to be told, uh, you're wrong? None of us. But we must be reminded every time, I don't know everything. Yeah, you're right. That's a, yeah, thank you for that. I don't know everything. I appreciate that correction. It's for my good, not for my, my harm. Finally, in closing, the apostle explains how growth takes place in verse 15 and 16. I'm not going to read it to you. We are to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body. See that? The ultimate cause of our growth is not the elders. The ultimate cause of our growth is Christ, who is the developer of the body, according to the proper working of each part. Each part function according to its part. It's not just the elder. It's all of us. We have unique functions. And we're going to, talk, again, tease this out next week. The secondary cause is the past is the pastor is the primary. The secondary cause is the pastor. The primary cause is Christ. You got that of our growth. The, the primary cause is Christ. The secondary cause is the pastor that Christ has gifted you with. Pastors are to teach and preach God's word each week. And again, if it's our duty to preach, it's someone else's duty to be here to be to be here to hear that preaching. Listen. Even and especially when there is conflict in your personal lives in the church. If you have a conflict in the church that does not excuse you from the ordinary means of grace, God has ordained for your growth and maturation, God's word and the Lord's Supper. If there is a, 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 a conflict that you have with another member, what should you do? Go tell other members. I don't like her. Her hair. Mira. Look at him. Oh, I'm acting like my dad right now. You should go talk to that member. Why? Because that's how you maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. You don't tell others. I'm thinking about leaving the church. Have you talked to the pastor? Nah. Nah. Why not? Nah. I'm just telling you. Hey, I'm leaving the church. I'll call specific people of the church to let them know. I thought you were a member of this church, the whole body. 
oh, you're only connected to the other, to the right hand. You don't need that left hand, right? Ah, I got you. I got you. If you forsake the assembling because of a personal, because of a personal offense, how are you obeying the command to keep the bond of unity or the spirit of unity and the bond of peace? Verse three, you're not. Christ strengthens our church through the ministers of God's word as we obey God's word. How does the minister? How does this as the minister? Oh, God does this as the minister ministers God's word as the Lord's Supper. And don't neglect that as the Lord's Supper is administered to the people of God as church discipline is practiced. All of this is for the benefit of the people of God. Pastors preach, the members receive and they are changed. That's the way it works. It's so simple. The public ministry comes first. The effects come after. The effects are, the effects are, I am protected from doctrinal heresy. I get knowledge of truth. I grow in maturity. I speak the truth and love to others. I am being made into a perfect man by the Holy Spirit in his word. That sounds like a healthy, strong church. If the church pastor is doing his part and the church is doing their part. Pastors are used to nurture the church, but I'm not the only one to help you grow. Isaiah is not the only one to help you grow. John is not the only one to help you grow. You also help each other grow. And there are other pastors that you guys receive from. Some of you guys like MacArthur. Some of you guys like Bodie Bauckham. Some of you guys like uh, other, other theologians. That's great. They are helping you to grow too. I would never say I'm the only one who can speak into your lives. If I ever do say that, run from this church. I'm serious. Uh, Brother Ralph gave me a, a sign back. Yeah, beat me up. Beat me up. If I ever speak that way. I grew up in a church and uh, Sister Nancy might remember this if she was there during that time. I grew up in a church where the pastor said he had our destiny in his loins. What is that? That's heresy. We must never think we are unimportant. And the only person of importance is the pastor. Not so. Why? Because we're a body. And each part is functionally needed. Someone said to me, I don't want to hear what what Richard Barcelos has to say. Or this theologian or that theologian. I want to hear what you have to say. Wrong. Where do you think I learned this stuff from? Wrong thinking, wrong dependency on me. Don't depend on me. That's wrong. We are your shepherds. We are your elders. We will help you. Trust us. But if I'm the only person who can speak to you, and if Isaiah's preaching, I'm not going. Why not Isaiah's preaching tonight? What's wrong with you? He's one of your elders. Ah, uh, John's preaching today. Nah, I only like Antonio. Or John's preaching. Yes, I hate when Antonio preaches. Whatever. Whatever. That is wrong dependency on one person. And here's how that's also dangerous. I'm going to let you down. He, he, we will all let each other. And when that happens, we need to be gracious toward one another. Because I'm not Christ. And there are other people that can help you grow. We all play important parts in the functioning of the body. What part are you? What part are you? 
I don't know. Well, be present. You'll find out. It, and listen, I said this to Pastor Zay. I'm sorry. No, no, no I'm not sorry. You, we all need this. I said this to Pastor Zay as we were driving home. Your faithful attendance, it preserves you. And it also protects you. When you're just faithful, I'm coming, no matter what, it will preserve you. It will protect you. Even in times where you don't understand what was being taught, I'm still there. It will preserve you. It will protect you. And the, and the body of Christ is also nurtured. Nurtured when you are here. There are some people I know who they are just making it. Physically, they're just making it. There's something at home that, that is going on and they still made it. When I see some of you and I know some of the difficulties that you're going through, I say to myself as I'm being prepared and don't really want to come. And I got to preach. If I know this person's going to be there and knowing what they're dealing with, I know them personally. I can be there. And you may say, what part do I play? Do you realize you don't realize that your presence here is encouragement to me while, while I'm getting ready? I know they will be there because they're always there. I'll be there. I'll be there. This passage is about true shepherds caring for God's people. Christ is the head from whom all this growth and stability takes place. This enduring takes place. All this speaking the truth of love in love is affected by Christ. And it is Christ who is accomplishing all of this with his people. Christ is not passive. He's not a passive observer of the church. He's active. He's causing his people to grow as they actively participate as being parts and members of this body. Let's pray.